when we set the bar really low and we say, I have no expectations of this person or this date or this meeting, that in and of itself, let's be real, is an expectation, right? And, and based on our experiences and our history, we tend to have certain expectations of certain people. Like we all have that friend or cousin that when we see their name pop up on caller ID or th there's a text message from them, we immediately know they want something, right? The only time they hit us up is when they need a ride to the airport or help moving or to borrow something. So that's what we've come to expect of them. Or we've all had that coworker or that boss in the past who every time they email us or every time they want us to step into their office, it's to tell us all the things we're doing wrong, right? Constructive criticism is great, but when criticism is all you hear, it doesn't feel all that constructive, you know? So when the email pops up from them, we kind of brace ourselves and we ask the question, okay, what did I do wrong now, right? Because that's that's what we've come to expect of them. I think sometimes we can end up doing the same thing with Jesus. Like we come to church or we pray or we open up our Bibles and we brace ourselves because inevitably God is going to ask us to do something we don't want to do or he's going to remind us of all the things we're doing wrong. You know, I'm not quite sure why this happens. Like maybe it's based on some of our own experiences with religion. Maybe it's based on some of the current circumstances and interactions we're having with people, with friends, family, and our jobs. And, but somewhere along the way, we can easily create this expectation of Jesus. And we aren't alone. Over 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was teaching and ministering to people, that's what people expected of him as well. Like they too had been burned by religion. They too had been criticized by bosses and spouses and family members. They too were reminded, and especially then, they were reminded of, of the political policies of the day, of the small place that they had in a much larger world of power. And so when they would hear about this Jesus, this, this religious teacher, this spiritual leader that everybody was talking about, as, as individuals and crowds would meet Jesus for the first time, they had this expectation of Jesus, that he would tell them all the things that they were doing wrong and then issue them yet another list of things that they had to be doing in order to get it right. This is what they'd come to expect of Jesus back in the day. And sometimes it's still to this day the unspoken expectation we struggle with. But when we begin to actually discover for ourselves who Jesus is and, and how he lived and what he taught and what he did, when we explore for ourselves who this Jesus was and is, we stumble upon a spectacular discovery. Jesus is the master of defying expectations. He surprises, he bewilders, he challenges, he confronts, he leaves people in a complete state of awe and wonder, but he never really succumbs to the expectations of those around him. Case in point. In Matthew chapter 11, there's a crowd forming around Jesus, and they're expecting this religious leader to be like the rest of them, to point an accusing finger, to sell the latest new product. But instead, Jesus does something entirely different. Listen to what Jesus says to the crowd. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The message version of the same passage translates this way. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. 
Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is not what they were expecting to hear. And if, if we were to take a moment and just imagine having a face-to-face -face conversation with God right now, creator of all things, who knows all things, who knows everything we've done and what we aren't doing. He knows what we're struggling with and what we're trying to make sense of. Let's be real. We wouldn't expect that to be the first thing to hear either. But it's what we need to hear. Each and every one of us need to hear today. And my prayer is that as we explore this invitation that Jesus extends to each and every one of us, that we would discover for ourselves unforced rhythms of grace and that we would find true rest from the things right now that are weighing us down and wearing us out. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you offer us this invitation. Not just a crowd over 2,000 years ago, but today this invitation stands for us. And so regardless of where we are in our journey of faith, we pray that we would discover rest in you today that she would show us what unforced rhythms of grace actually looks like. And the things that are weighing us down and wearing us out, Jesus, that you would show us a different way, that we would leave knowing you a bit more. And we would leave here today experiencing true rest in our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. About three years ago, I entered into a competition with a few other coworkers of mine at the time. It was guys versus girls, and the competition was simple. For one week, we had to wear our Nike Fuel Bands, or our Fitbits, and um, see how many points we'd accumulate through exercise and movement. And whoever had the most points at the end of the week, that team won. What would you win? Bragging rights. But if you lost, you actually had to do something more than eat humble pie. You also had to eat something else that you weren't accustomed to. If the men lost, who were avid meat eaters, then they had to go vegan for one week. And they had to daily post pictures of what they were eating, declaring their love for all things vegan. If I lost, I had to eat an In-N-Out double cheeseburger in front of the entire staff. Now, some of you are like, that's a reward, right? But I've been a vegetarian for years. So for me to do this would be a painful experience in a number of different ways. I'm a highly competitive person, and so was everybody else involved. So as the week progressed and we kept seeing each other's scores at the end of the day, we were becoming more and more driven, okay, obsessed with getting as many points as possible. You know, I was running long distances twice a day. I was waking up earlier and earlier and going to bed later and later just so I could get more movement and exercise in. At work, if I was on a conference call, I would mute my phone so that I could run outside the office and do sprints back and forth without anybody knowing while in the middle of a meeting. And if I was having a face-to-face -face meeting with people, then I'd have them sit in my office and I would do this the entire time. I would pace the entire meeting because they knew I just had to win. It got so bad that towards the end of the week, I was actually at a friend's birthday dinner at a nice restaurant, and this is what I was doing the entire time I was sitting there. I just kept moving my arms up and down because I just needed the points to keep coming, right? I, I was looking a little crazy because I was becoming a little crazy. At the end of the week, it was neck and neck, but sadly, our team lost. Yes, and I did eat that burger, or at least a few bites of it. And in case some of you who love In-N-Out and love burgers are wondering, maybe she secretly liked it and it led her back to a path of true love for meat. Well, I have a photo which speaks for itself. Go ahead and show that photo, yes. Look at that face, that is not one of joy. Can you see Cody, our downtown community pastor in the back, can you see his genuine, we've been friends for years, genuine look 
of, of disgust slash concern. Yes, yes. But I'll never forget that week because I started out that week with a good goal. I wanted to win and it's what motivated me to move and to get going. But as the week progressed, I was no longer motivated by winning as much as I just could not be defeated. I did not want to lose. And so even though I was growing more and more exhausted, I just kept moving and going and going because I did not want to lose. And I think that's true to life sometimes. We can start with these great goals and these ambitions and these dreams, and they get us moving, they get us going, they get us achieving. But somewhere over time, we're no longer driven by purpose, but by worry. We're no longer driven by this hope of a future as much as we're driven by the growing present anxieties and fears and stresses. And we're no longer moving from a place of strength and passion. Now we're moving from a place of weariness and exhaustion, but we keep going, we keep moving because we're afraid that if we slow down, if we stop, we lose. And Jesus, he recognizes this endless self-inflicting exhaustion and he says, are you weary? I'll give you rest. A couple months ago, I took up my friend Teresa's offer to go to her gym where she works and to train with her. Now, Teresa, who's from the Upper West Side community, maybe some of you are, are know her, but she's really magnificent at her job. Like, she's truly gifted to help people achieve their goals. It's, it's phenomenal. And so I was really excited to have some one-on-one -on -one time with her. Now, I would categorize myself as a fairly fit person. Like, I eat lots of vegetables, I take vitamins, I do my daily burn workout videos from home. Plus, I own complete workout outfits, not just yoga pants, but the whole outfit. So like, clearly, I am fit, right? So I showed up and I was expecting her to commend me on my level of health. Sure, she'd give me some improvements, but like tell me how healthy I am. A few minutes into working out with her and doing some basic exercises and stretches, this is what she says to me. You are weak, like really weak. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm, I'm weak, but what else am I great at? Nothing, no, just you are weak and we really need to work on this, right? Okay, cool, cool, cool. Good humbling moment. Thank you, right? But then she went on to, yes, have some very encouraging, in case you're wondering, she's an encouraging person, encouraging things to say and to have me do so that I could grow in my strength. And immediately she had me start lifting weights. But here's what she didn't do. She didn't say, okay, you are really weak, so here's 50 pounds, now start lifting. Because she knew at that point that I could not carry that weight. She knew my limits. She knew what weight would be enough to make me stronger and what weight would be too much and would actually injure me. Some of us are not growing stronger from the weight we carry, even though that's our intent, because to put it bluntly, it's just too heavy for us to carry. Some weight is good, but too much weight and we hurt ourselves and we actually are no longer able to move and live at the level that God created us to. In Jesus' time, the people were overburdened by the ever-increasing demands of the religious leaders of the day. These religious scholars and leaders, teachers known as Pharisees, they had taken God's commands to his people, mainly the Ten Commandments that God issued in Moses' time, and they had now expanded it to be a list of 613 commands. And they taught that unless you adhere to all 613 of these commands, you would not be considered righteous. Now most likely in this room right now, we can look at this and, and we can recognize the absurdity of that number. Like 613, who can keep up with that? Like it's an impossible task to begin with. And even though we don't have to bow down to the weight of 613 religious commands today, I wonder, 
I wonder if we were to do inventory of all the weight and pressures and expectations and demands we carry, what the number would be. I wonder what religious burdens we carry, the things we were told or taught growing up, the unspoken and spoken expectations we have of what it means to be a good person or what it looks like to be a good Christian. I wonder, I wonder what sort of pressures we have from our family, spoken and unspoken, of who we should be and what we should act like and what we should pursue in life. I wonder, I wonder what sort of pressures and expectations society has placed on us that we are carrying as additional weight. This idea of where we should be at a certain stage of our life and what we should have accomplished and what we should look like and what we should say and what behaviors we should accept as normal. I wonder, I wonder if we actually paid attention to the weight we carry from our careers right now how heavy that would actually be, what, what, what sort of things we're taught you need to do in order to get ahead and what sort of pressures to make a certain amount of money or to look a certain way or to know a certain group of people. I wonder if we were to do an exhaustive inventory of all the pressures and all the weights and all the demands and all the expectations others place on us and even the ones we place on ourselves, I wonder what that number would be. I wonder how many commands we are trying to follow. Maybe it's closer to the 613 mark than we'd like to admit. And Jesus, who knows the full extent of all that we are trying to carry right now, he says, are you carrying heavy burdens? I will give you rest. This word rest here is an interesting one because it finds its origin in, in a Hebrew word that's used in Genesis chapter 2 to describe how after God had created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, how he rested. In fact, Genesis 2 tells us this. Says, remember, says this, I'm going to look at it right here. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all the work. Then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God worked for seven days, or six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. He worked and then he rested and in this single act, he revealed to humanity that there is not just holiness and work and creation, but in rest and rejuvenation. And later on in the history of humanity, when God issues commandments to his people, the Israelites, in the form of the 10 commandments, one out of the 10, he wholly devotes to the same idea of rest. Exodus chapter 20, the command is this, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Basically, no work for anyone. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now let's think about this. If this is where the word finds its origin for rest, and this is what Jesus is offering us, then Jesus is offering us more than just an extra hour or two of sleep a night. He's offering us more than just a quick nap. He's offering us more than just a moment of peace and quiet in the middle of a busy day. What Jesus is offering is far more powerful. Jesus is offering us rest from the work. What work? From the weary work of trying to live up to unrealistic expectations from the burdensome work of trying to conform ourselves to ill-fitting demands, from the never-ending and impossible work 
of trying to fix our own bad habits and bad behaviors by our own sheer willpower. The exhausting work of trying to move and go and live at an unsustainable pace. Jesus offers us rest, not just physically, but he offers us rest in the soul, rest where it matters most. Jesus offers us rest. He offers us rest. Ah, it just feels good saying it. And if Jesus offers us this kind of revolutionary rest, then the question becomes, well, how do we get it? Well, in Jesus' invitation, he gives two distinct commands. First, he says, come, come to me. Simply come. There's no application process. There's no tryouts. There's no auditions. There's no need to perform. There's no need to act a certain way or say the right thing. Just come exactly as you are. Come to Jesus. You know, of all the different translations of this invitation in Matthew chapter 11, perhaps the most deeply personal and relational is the Passion Translation. Here's how it reads. Are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me. I will refresh your life as you rest with me. Accept only the task that I give you as my true disciple. Simply join your life with mine and let me be your teacher. You'll discover that I am gentle, humble, easy to please, and I'll give you satisfying rest. For I only place upon you what is pleasant and easy to carry. Jesus' invitation is radically relational. He invites us to him, not to a religious list of regulations, not to a picture-perfect performance of right living, not to a certain amount of outward success or achievement, but simply to him. Satisfying rest is found in Jesus, in joining our life with his, living lightly and freely begins when we're willing to let go of all of these unnecessary weights of trying to act like we have it all together and play a certain part and try to figure out how to figure out life on our own. No true rest and a life that is wildly and wonderfully lived begins when we simply let go of those things to come to Jesus with the sole ambition of knowing him. Come to me and I will give you rest. And then Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Now, most of us don't go around talking about our yokes all the time, so I'm pretty sure that this might get lost in translation. But in Jesus' time, a yoke was a piece of timber that was placed on a team of animals, oxen, so that the animals could actually pull heavy loads evenly. Now, when an animal came under the yoke, it was not only subject to the weight of the yoke, but it was now subject to the pace and the direction dictated by the owner. Jesus is saying here, come to me, have a real relationship with me, and let my relationship with you determine in life the weight you carry, and the pace at which you move, and the direction that you take in life. Whoa, I don't know about you, but this invitation just became real, real quick. Because if we respond to this kind of invitation, then that means some things are probably gonna change. I mean, to let Jesus determine the weight we carry means that there's probably going to be some priorities that get shifted. We're going to begin to value some things a little bit more and begin to value some other things a bit less. To let Jesus dictate the pace at which we move means for some of us, we're going to have to slow things down a bit. And for others, we're going to have to start speeding it up. 
To let Jesus determine the direction of our life is no small thing. I mean, what if it means some of our pursuits get downgraded? What, what if we want to go in one direction and suddenly Jesus is pulling us in another? What if we end up somewhere very different than where we expect it to be? This invitation just came at a cost. This relationship with Jesus just became real. Because maybe Jesus isn't requiring us to adhere to 613 religious commands and to jump through man-made hoops. But he is requiring something of us that all of those commands would never require. Our trust. Jesus knows how great the struggle is to trust. So much so that when Jesus offers this invitation, he doesn't say, and you should respond because I'm God and I said so. Because I demand you. He doesn't remind us of all the great things he's done for us to some, so, I don't know, like guilt trip us into submission. Instead, knowing how much of a struggle trust can be, he simply chooses to let us know who we can expect to deal with if we make the decision to exchange our life for his. He says, this is who I am, because I know trust is hard. This is why you can trust me. I am gentle and I am humble. And think about those words. Let's let them really sink into our everyday life right now and our experience. I am gentle and I am humble. It's as if God is saying to us in this room, I know the struggle to trust. I know what you've been through. I know that life has taught you some hard lessons. I know that people have let you down. I can see the pain that you've been through. I know how much uncertainty scares you. I know how deep the need to control runs for you. I know how loyal you've become to a certain way of doing things. It's like your own grown-up safety blanket. I know how tightly you hold your grip on certain pursuits and achievements because you think if you get them that they'll somehow make you happy or they'll validate you or finally make sense of all the tough things you've been through. I get you. I see you. And so let me remind you of who you will be dealing with here. I am gentle and I am humble. In other words, I will not harm you. Actually, I will serve you. I will take care of you. Jesus offers us this kind of invitation, and he doesn't offer it to us just once here today. The best part is that he offers it to us every single day. And so how do we position ourselves to get in on this rest? How do we position ourselves in such a way that beyond our time here this morning, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and every single day, we can experience the true rest that Jesus has for us. Well, there's a number of different things that Jesus modeled in his life, but there's two that I want us to take a look at very quickly. The first thing that Jesus teaches us to really discover unforced rhythms of grace was found in what he did himself. Throughout the Gospels, throughout the stories of Jesus found in the New Testament, Jesus again and again is found doing a rather unusual thing. It says in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place and prayed. And Luke chapter 5 tells us this. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus not only prayed, but he intentionally sought out solitude. Solitude. I mean, come on, let's talk about the world we live in, the city we live in, the life we live. Solitude it seems like almost an impossible task, right? We have to fight for the silence like Jesus did. Jesus often got up early while it was still dark to pray. 
Now, I don't think that's anybody's preferred time of the day to get things going. Jesus did this, why? Because he was fighting for the silence. Luke chapter six tells us that while it was night, Jesus got up, he went to a mountain and he prayed all night long. Now, I don't know about you, but after a certain age, all-nighters are no longer fun, am I right, you know? I, I don't think Jesus is doing this because he's like, oh, I just love being up at night. No, 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 what was he doing? He was fighting for the silence. And often, crowds of people would form looking for Jesus, fans of Jesus, wanting to meet him, wanting to praise him. And what did he do? He let the crowd wait. He chose the silence over the crowd. He chose solitude over the applause. That defies human nature. Why would he do this? Because he was fighting for the silence. And why was the silence worth fighting for? And why is it still worth fighting for for us here today? Maybe in order to answer that question, we have to take a look at another passage of Scripture. We have to take a look at the story of the prophet Elijah, who lived long before Jesus' ministry. And in, Eli in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah finds himself probably at the lowest point of his life. He's had to flee his life. People are hunting him down. And he is now struggling with a suicidal depression. And this is where God responds. God meets Elijah in his moment of need. And he tells Elijah to go and to stand in a certain spot and to wait for the presence of God to come. And something really spectacular and unusual happens. It says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? God met Elijah in his moment of need. God spoke to him, but not in the way that Elijah expected. God didn't speak to Elijah in the wind like he had done for the Old Testament hero Job. God didn't speak to Elijah the way that he had in an earthquake like he did in Mount Sinai when he issued the Ten Commandments. And God didn't speak to Elijah in the fire like he had done for the great leader Moses in the form of the burning bush. Instead, God came and he spoke in a gentle whisper. Now the Hebrew word for this can also be translated the sheer sound of silence. Where was the presence of God found? Where was the voice of God? In the silence. About a year ago, I found myself in an interesting spot. I just come out of a pretty difficult time in my life and I, in many ways was really grateful for that because it led me to New York and it led me to Liberty Church. But it felt like overnight my life changed. And I, all my life plans kind of got thrown out the window. And there was moments where I was just going about my day and it was like I was having an out-of-body experience going, I'm watching myself do these things, but I'm thinking, how did I get here? And, and, and why am I here? I couldn't make sense of it. And it was, it was frustrating and I was a little bit lost. And the frustration continued to build until one morning I got up and I did the same thing that I've done for 22 years of following Jesus. I am a true creature of habit. I got up, I went and got a cup of coffee, went back into my bed in my PJs and read my Bible. And as I was reading a portion of my Bible, I can't remember the passage, but there's something about the content of what I was reading that was like poking at my frustration. It was like antagonizing me to the point where in the middle of reading, I just stopped. And on my bed, I just said, why? Why God? Like why? You need to tell me why. And then I just determined and resolved in that moment that I was not gonna leave my bed until I got an answer. Like, 
I resisted the urge to fidget or to speak or to dismiss the potential significance of that moment and go about my day. I just was there. What was I doing? I was beginning to fight for the silence. And it was awkward and it was uncomfortable. And it felt like an eternity of silence. It was probably only like five minutes, but it felt like a really long time. And then it happened. Jesus responded, not in an audible voice, but he spoke to me from within. He said, hey, Nicole, how about if you just make this season about worshiping me? Like, what if your big why is just to be with me in this season? And why don't you just trust me with the rest? And why don't you just let my love be enough for you right now? And so I took it in. I sat there for a few extra minutes, silent, really thinking about what I had just heard. And then finally I responded and I said, yeah, yes, I can do that. And I want to do that. And I got up and I went about my day. But something happened to me in that moment. Something changed within me. I was no longer frustrated. I was content. I was no longer stuck in the past. I was now free to be present in the moment. And I'm so grateful for everything that Jesus has done in my life since that moment, but I'm convinced I would not be experiencing any of it if I hadn't first fought for the silence that morning to actually hear my Savior speak to me in the silence. My breakthrough was in the silence. You know, I, I love conferences and events and podcasts and books, and we have so many amazing communicators and brilliant teachers and scholars, and I believe truly that God speaks to us through all of those things. They're amazing. They're a blessing. But what if your next breakthrough isn't in any of those things? What if it's in the silence? And if you knew it was in the silence, what would you be willing to do to fight for the silence? When I first started applying and adding minutes of silence into my prayer time each day, it was weird because we're programmed. If it's like 30 seconds of not doing something to like pull up our phones or open our laptops, we just got to be busy, right? So it was uncomfortable. But, but once I settled into it, I started to realize how many random thoughts go through my mind, you know? Like there's some that I was expecting, like I'm expecting to be thinking about the to-do list at work or I'm expecting to think about maybe a, a, an anxiety or a stressful point right now in a project I'm working on or I'm, I'm expecting to be thinking about a recent conversation I have. Those all make sense because they have like context. But then there was just the completely unexpected ones, you know? So like I'm here, I'm, I'm fighting for the silence, you know? Jesus speak to me and all of a sudden I get young MC's bust move in my head like you want it. Mm. You, and I'm like, what? I haven't heard that song in 20 years and now I can't get it out of my head. Like what in the world, right? I don't even know why this is happening. Even in those moments, fight for the silence. Fight for the silence, make space for the silence, pursue the silence because our savior wants to speak to us where in the silence. Jesus not only wants to speak to us in the silence and teach us how to rest and teach us unforced rhythms of grace, but there's another way in which he wants to teach us as well. And he models this for us. He shows us this in the story of two sisters, Mary and Martha. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus is actually staying at their home, and they both have an opportunity to learn from Jesus. But interestingly enough, they have very different responses. It says that Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. She had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was continually listening to his teaching. But Martha was very busy and distracted with all of her serving responsibilities. And she approached him and said, Lord, is it of no concern to you that my sister has left me to do the serving alone? Tell her to help me and do her part. 
But the Lord replied to her, Martha, Martha, girl, you are worried and bothered and anxious about so many things. He didn't say the girl part, I added that. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, that which is to her advantage, which will not be taken away from her. Now, to sit at the feet of Jesus and continually learn from his teaching was synonymous at the time to being a disciple. Now, contrary to gender roles at the time, Jesus was inviting Mary to be personally discipled by him, to learn how to really live from the author of life himself. Mary, she chose to be at the feet of Jesus, to listen to him, to learn from him, and to let those moments actually have a catalytic effect in every area of her life. Because Mary understood something that Martha couldn't understand. There will always be dirty dishes to clean in the sink. And there will always be emails to check, and there will always be meetings to have, and there will always be projects to complete, and there will always be groceries to buy, and there will always be bills to pay. And you know what? We should be responsible and do that stuff, right? And there's ample time for it. But those things in and of themselves do not teach us how to live. And they certainly don't lend to us actually learning how to live lightly and freely. Only time with Jesus does this. Only time spent listening and learning from our Savior can teach us how to live wildly and wonderfully and freely. And maybe we don't have the advantage of having Jesus in our home like Mary and Martha did. But we have the advantage of having the very Spirit of God to lead us and teach us in all truth. And we have the written word of God for us. So we too can actually sit at the feet of Jesus. We can, in the middle of the craziness and the demands and the responsibilities, say, I'm going to take a break for a few minutes and I'm going to open my Bible and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to learn from my Savior. I'm going to let him speak to me in this moment. And we open our Bibles not out of obligation, not because some preacher told us to. We do it with the sole ambition because we want to learn from Jesus. This is our way of sitting at the feet of Jesus. Because it's there that we could discover the one thing that cannot be taken away from us, the same thing that Mary was able to discover. We can actually learn what it means to be taught by our Savior. We can discover for ourselves unforced rhythms of grace. What if that discovery is closer than we think? What if it's actually found here? And just some intentional time every day learning from Jesus. Friends, I hope this is good news today. I hope we understand that Jesus has rest for us, a true rest, rest where it counts, that he invites us to come to him, that he wants to lead us and teach us, that he wants to speak to us in the silence, that he wants to teach us how to really live in those moments where we learn from him. He's inviting us to discover for ourselves. He's offering us unforced rhythms of grace. This is what our Savior offers us today and every day. And I can't offer you that. Nobody can. Only Jesus. But as you continue to explore for yourself what it means to live from this true place of rest, I do offer you four questions. Four questions for you to continue to explore beyond our time together. And my prayer is that this week you would reflect and you would pray and continue to allow our Savior to invite you to true rest. So here are the questions. Number one. What weights am I currently carrying? And how are these burdens impacting my life? Like, I dare you to do inventory right now. Some of you are like, girl, I don't even want to know. It's just a lot. <laughs> Take the time to be real about the weight you carry and actually think about what impact it's making. Number two, what area of my life is hardest to trust Jesus with right now? 
And how does knowing Jesus' gentle and humble impact my ability to trust him? We all have that area. Perhaps some of us, it's more than one area. Maybe it's our finances, our health. It could be a certain relationship. It could be the outcome of something that we're hoping for. There's always an area where it's just a bit more difficult to trust. But what does it mean to know that he's gentle and humble in those places? Number three, what can I do this week to begin fighting for the silence? It's a practical one, but what can we do? And number four, what would it look like for me to set aside some time daily to sit at the feet of Jesus? How will reading the Bible simply to learn from Jesus affect me and my relationship with God? And I recognize there's probably a lot of us that were like, this is uncommon to our everyday. This is going to be new. Where do I start? I encourage you, read a a psalm a day. It's in the middle of the Bible. You can read a psalm. Psalms are, are worship songs and prayers written long ago that examine the human condition and how to interact with God and receive healing and hope in the midst of perhaps our pain or our triumphs. It's beautiful. You can just start there, or maybe you just start reading from one of the Gospels found in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all tell about the life of Jesus. So if you want to learn from Jesus, that's a great place to start. You could read a chapter a day, even a portion a day, just with the sole question of, teach me, Jesus. Like, like I'm asking for, for you to teach me how to really live. Teach me who I am. Teach me who you are. I promise our Savior wants to teach us rest in those moments. These are the questions I have for us today, and my prayer is that we would find true rest. My prayer is that the places right now where we're overburdened and weighed down, that we would discover the true rest that Jesus has for us, that we would learn to live lightly and freely, that we would accept the invitation to come simply as we are to Jesus, and that we would not try to live by performance or rules or regulations, but that we would actually just try to know Jesus more, to discover his love for us, his ways, that we would learn from the greatest teacher of all, the author of life himself, Jesus, and that we would leave here this week experiencing unforced rhythms of grace in our everyday. Why don't we pray for that right now? Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you have an invitation that you've issued to us today. The invitation still stands just like it did 2,000 years ago. It stands for us today. Thank you that you come to us with this invitation to know you and to let you guide and lead our lives. And so... We accept. If we're in this place and we're ready to accept, that's what we say right now. We accept the invitation. And I pray that you continue to show us how gentle and humble you are, that as you lead and guide our lives, that we would find true rest, that we no longer carry weights that are unnecessary, but that we would learn to live lightly and freely in our everyday lives. Jesus, teach us how to really live. Show us real rest. May we experience it even today, even beginning today here in this place. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Church Podcast. If you are in New York City or will be visiting the New York area soon, please be our guest on Sunday. For service times and locations, please visit libertychurchnyc.com.